0: This is HeartStock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Today, our guest is Pasha Whitmire. In just a moment, he's going to be with us and tell us all about what he is up to. He's with Patagonia, and he's working in the materials development, and he's the lead there in that department. So really excited to hear his story here on HeartStock. Daniel Hogan is in the studio, and you can email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. In just a moment, we will be right back with Pasha. As I went walking and ripping the highway, I saw a valley, that in the sky, I saw below me at golden valley. Welcome to Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and today our guest is Pasha Whitmire. He is the Materials Development Lead at Patagonia. Hi, Pasha.
1: Hi, Carol. How's it going?
0: (laughs) Very well. It really perked my little ears up when I saw that you're in Bozeman. Is that where you're speaking with us from?
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm calling here from Bozeman.
0: And how did you end up in Bozeman? Is that where you're from originally?
1: No, actually I'm I'm originally from the East Coast, but my wife and I we moved out here a couple of years ago. I uh, really wanted to be out in the beautiful lands in Montana and we're big into uh skiing and snowboarding. So she has some old uh childhood friends that are from here and that's kind of how we we found out about Montana and, and came out here. So uh yeah, it's been it's
0: been great. How long have you been in Bozeman for?
1: About two years. Nice. Two years. Nice.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about what your job at Patagonia entails as the material development lead?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So at Patagonia, we have a pretty robust materials and innovation team. And my job specifically is around commercialization of, of new product and new innovations and specifically the work that I do is a lot around uh, our synthetic materials so a lot of our technical performance materials that are going into like anything from fishing waders to ski shells and alpine climbing jackets and running shorts and all kinds of stuff like that so my position is mainly around just trying to put together the synthetic strategy around where are these materials coming from and and what good are they doing and also how these products are kind of existing in the world and, and how do we build them in the most responsible way. So that's kind of been my focus. And 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 I also develop a lot of the, the waterproof breathable materials, like anything for uh, rain shells and stuff like that. So, yeah.
0: Well, that sounds like an absolute blast, but also very <laughs> challenging. So we're going to talk more about that. But You mentioned earlier that you're from the East Coast. Where did you grow up? And maybe were there influences early in life that led you to be, I guess, a material scientist? Would you consider yourself a material scientist?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely have a background in material science. Uh, So I, I grew up in North Carolina. I was always kind of interested in like the arts. And then I kind of got into math and science and kind of looking into school, my parents kind of influenced me to kind of explore the engineering field. And and that was really when I discovered material science and engineering and specifically textile engineering and, and kind of learning at that time that I didn't realize it, but textiles were, was just under my nose and everyone's noses at every part of our lives every day. And growing up in North Carolina, which is a, was a big, textile manufacturing state for the US and and greater than that even. And kind of learning about that industry and what a great impact it has on our everyday lives was kind of what led me to to study textile engineering. And I've always kind of had an interest in kind of working with designers and working with businesses to kind of have a impact in the materials that our everyday lives are made from. And so that was kind of where I started out and actually I was a big surfer that was like at the time I kind of was thinking in my head, I was going to start like developing surfboards or, or, you know, going and working for some boat manufacturer on fiberglass. But, you know, I realized this is a very artisanal world. And, uh, actually where I ended up landing was in the outdoor apparel industry, uh, just kind of discovering that, you know, other grads from North Carolina state had gone and, um, worked at places like Nike or, you know, adidas or some of these big apparel companies and then i kind of leaned in the outdoor apparel industry i moved out to portland when i was in school and and i worked at columbia sportswear for a minute and then out of school i i my first job was up in seattle working at rei and i was developing materials with them so that was kind of how i got into it and got into the outdoors and and how i have kind of come to to my job today, uh, where I've been at Patagonia for, for nine years now. So.
0: And I'm just kind of curious if there were some major influences early on that kind of directed where, where you landed.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think I remember like a couple different moments. I mean, there was one professor that at North Carolina State, Dr. Hinks, and he was working on like a carpet recycling program and I kind of like remember that at the time it was like a chemical process and I and it kind of like went over my head a little bit at the time I you know I didn't really like quite understand how much impact the textile industry had whether it was from carbon emissions or from waste and I think like that kind of planted a little bit of a seed for me and then moving into the outdoor apparel space kind of further solidified that impact and you know i've had a lot of influences even just working at patagonia and and learning from a lot of counterparts that come from a you know environmental studies background like my friends uh, elena and carba on the sustainability team right so so they they taught me so much and i've had so many mind-blowing moments throughout my career that really helped to kind of like galvanize where i'm planned ahead and learning how like impactful the apparel industry is for the planet and, and those sorts of things. So I think that's kind of where a lot of my influence and inspiration comes from.
0: Let's talk about that impact a bit. What were some of your aha moments where you went, wow, (laughs) this is, this is far reaching (laughs) and, and, and highly impactable. I mean, it's just like you said before, you know, we're all wearing clothes, but little thought goes into, at least in the past, the little thought has gone really into how I personally and what I put on my body every day is impacting the planet. I mean, I think about it all the time now, but before that aha moment, nope, never really thought about it.
1: For sure. I mean, I think for me, you know, getting an education in material science and textile engineering and I didn't even really fully grasp it or understand it until later when I started working with some of these environmental scientists and and running these life cycle analysis on on the products we make. That that was kind of when I started to really realize, you know, what was going on or how it was occurring. And I mean, we we kind of discovered that you know, eighty to ninety percent of an apparel brand's carbon footprint comes from the fabric manufacturing. And you know, this is This is including all the kind of, you know, transportation and like me flying out to, you know, our textile mills, mainly in Asia or or elsewhere. You know, our sales team traveling constantly, like all these things were a moot point compared to just simply the the factory, the mill producing the actual fabrics for all of our apparel. So that like, you know, learning that was just really like a huge mind blowing Thing and really helped to kind of pinpoint like what we need to do to help like fix this problem that we're in. You know, I mean, you know, globally, greenhouse gas emissions. We we think that about like ten percent is coming from just textile manufacturing, and it's been rapidly growing. And we think that by twenty fifty, that it'll be it'll account for a quarter of greenhouse gas emissions if we're on the same trajectory. So it's definitely like a huge problem and like a huge impact. Uh, And so I think that's kind of these learnings kind of help to kind of figure out like, okay, what do we do and how do we do it? And how do we reduce this problem? And um, that's kind of like a lot of the work that I've been doing now.
0: Let's talk about joining Patagonia. What was that like? And was that always at the top of your list?
1: Yeah, that's a, a good question. I mean, I think I, it was definitely like an always an interest of mine. I mean, I I think like getting into the outdoor apparel industry and, you know, learning about the incredible work that Patagonia does around sustainability and especially around materials and like the investment and the value that the company puts into that is like definitely remarkable. And so I, I think I knew that it would always be something that I would want to do and be a part of. And so when I got there, it was really incredible to be a part of such an organization. And, it, and it's so much like broader reaching than just product and materials too, you know, like all the work that the company does around grants and like profit going towards environmental grassroots organizations, right? So it's like more than just the product. Which is also really neat to be a part of that, but just simply being a part of the product too and trying to figure out new innovative ways of, of building product that's more sustainable is is pretty amazing. So, I really uh, have enjoyed that, and you know, being a part of a company with such a clear mission around like we're in business to save our home planet uh, is <laughs> is really like, really puts everyone at the company and also uh, and even inspires others to really. Rethink how we're building product and and what consumerism means and all that kind of stuff. So, it's it's been really inspiring and uh, a really in, enjoyable, incredible journey and a learning all along the way too. I think like when I first got to Patagonia nine years ago, you know, a lot of the performance materials that we were making weren't necessarily the most sustainable and you know still today there's a lot of impact that comes from building these performance materials but you know I think a lot of the work that we've done and I've done in the in the beginning of my career was simply trying to prove that performance materials can be made from things like recycled content or sustainable raw material inputs and you know that's kind of helped to set the foundation for a lot of brands and a lot of companies today that now use recycled content or, or renewable materials, and and now kind of we're looking at the the next frontier of like next gen materials and bio based things, and really trying to move the meter around like diversification and removal of uh, petroleum based products and and circularity and all these different sorts of uh, sustainable buzzwords that we use now today.
0: Yes, and putting those buzzwords into practicality, mm-hmm. no easy task. And I, I re- really want to delve more deeply into that in a moment. But were you, when you first came on at Patagonia, were you originally the material development lead or did your position kind of uh, evolve into that over time?
1: Yeah, it kind of evolved. I mean, like, I, I actually, when I first got to Patagonia, I was working in the testing lab. So, I was working on a lot of materials like base layers and fleece knits and things like that, and just trying to characterize their performance and developing new test methods to ensure the quality of those fabrics and those garments that we're were putting out into the field or out into the world. And, you know, I think that that was like a really good foundation to start from because, you know, you, you really understand from an intimate level, like, exactly what it takes to build the highest level quality product and you know we talk about all these things these all these sustainable buzzwords but at, like at the end of the day really the the most sustainable thing to do is really to have the most durable and long-lasting classic apparel that you can ha- like possibly create and buy as little as possible and so having having something like that was You know, starting in that testing world and that quality world was really such a great foundation for the sustainable work that I do today. And yeah, I I, I actually quickly moved over to material development. I think that was really where a lot of my passion and interests lie, was, was more around like working with designers, working with the business team to kind of think about and create new products. And really, it started with with what I mentioned or, around trying to just build sustainable performance materials, which we didn't really have at that time. So I was simply a material developer, and we were we we're creating kind of a palette of of recycled shells, and um, and and you know we we had some really great wins along the way. Whether it was like launching, you know Gore Tex, we, we 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 launched our first ever recycled materials in the shell fabric of our Gore shells so that was kind of a big move and that kind of impacted the whole industry that used Gore-Tex in waterproof shells and then and then in like 2019 we our entire shell line went and incorporated recycled content which was, was which was also a big deal in a first so since then I've been continually trying to build upon that and ask really like what does recycled mean where is it coming from? What good is it doing for the planet? And so I've spent a lot of time traveling visiting different uh, yarn manufacturing facilities and recycling plants, and really trying to understand you know when we say recycled, what like what good is that doing and what problem what world problems are we solving? so you know I think when I've kind of transitioned into this lead role with Patagonia, it's really been around trying to bring on new supply chains that didn't exist before and nurture ones that do exist that uh, are really making a big difference, uh, especially around this waste issue that we have that's escalating every year. And so we brought on things like EcoNeil, uh, which is a chemical recycled nylon, where they're taking carpet, which connects back to my college days, <laughs> and, uh, and fishing nets and chemically recycling that back into new nylon that we can use in our products. And then most recently with Boreo, their net plus material where it's 100% fishing nets coming from Chile. And that problem was really inspired by learning that, you know, a lot of the ocean plastic waste out there is actually a vast majority is coming from the fishing industry and from fishing gear, fishing nets being abandoned in the ocean. So that's how we kind of identified, okay, like, let's see how our product can like help with this ocean plastic pollution problem and create demand for those fishing nets so that they don't end up into the ocean. So Mm -hmm. that's, um, that's kind of like an example of the kind of work that, um, I've been doing lately and, and trying to lead. Yeah.
0: When we come back, I'm hoping we can talk more about, you mentioned bio-based materials. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a little break here. We'll be right back with Pasha. This is Heartstock. Heartstock Radio we're speaking with Pasha Whitmire and he is the material development lead at Patagonia and you know I always struggle with this whole issue that you were just talking about Pasha you know are we really doing good by the planet by recycling plastic materials as opposed to just from the get go eliminating plastic entirely and going straight to the bio-based materials What's your take on this? And maybe you can share with our listeners what exactly you mean when you say bio-based materials and and how that's different.
1: Yeah, so I think that first it's kind of important to understand some of the different kinds of bio-based and and biomaterials out there and I think usually when when folks in the industry are saying bio-based they're usually referring to a synthetic material or a plastic or a polymer that instead of the the oil that was used to create that plastic instead of it being originating from petroleum and fossil fuel extraction we're talking about using modern day plants uh, and those oils to um, create the uh, chemical building blocks to create some deep plastics. And, and, and why within is, that. Why is that
0: better? You know, how could
1: yeah, you know, those materials? So, I mean, be better? I think yeah, it's really around moving away from fossil fuel based sources. And you know, we we all know that fossil fuels are a finite resource. And so by moving away to something that is more that is renewable, um you know, we can reduce the impact of extraction, first of all, and then also, you know, using materials that are renewable. So um, that's kind of like the basic element of it. But there's also a lot of other implications that come with that. I, I think it is important to note that, like I said before, like we're in both cases, we're still building plastics, and we're still building them from oil. So uh, you know, generally speaking, all those impacts that come from like the production of the material still exists. So there's still like a lot of things that need to be done to kind of address those problems, especially around like the plastic formation or even the fabric formation processes. So, you know, I think a lot of folks, they they think bio-based is this holy grail that is just going to Sequester carbon and it's going to solve all of our problems. But the reality is that we're still building new materials, and those new materials have a lot of carbon impact to them. So um, that's why we're still very much invested in recycled materials and and recycling because um, it really helps to lower the impact way more than building something from the ground up, right? So whether it's from petroleum or it's from bio based. Feedstocks like you know agricultural feedstocks, we still have quite a large amount of impact going from the ground up like that. So, yeah, the the other piece that's really interesting and kind of um, really hopeful, I guess, about bio-based is that uh, using bio-based oils and plant-based oils to create these products, um, there's kind of a little bit more of a wide variety of of custom tailoring that we can do to create performance materials. So. You know, before when we were using fossil fuel-based feedstocks, it was quite limiting on the hydrocarbons and things like that. The types of chemistry that we're able to create, but with with um, plant-based uh, oils, we're able to kind of have a a little bit more wide variety of performance and capabilities. Uh, we can start. To figure out ways of biodegradability or more easily recyclable materials, um, maybe through enzymatic recycling, for example. So there's a lot of interesting like opportunities there, and also it can help fill the space where like recycling may not be possible. So like a good example is like polyurethanes, for example. Like we we it's a very difficult type of plastic to find recycled materials for and to recycle it. So. That's, that's a space that really makes a lot of sense to bring uh, bio-based plastics into.
0: And how about non-plastic biomaterials such as hemp? Um, I have one of my favorite Patagonia shirts is a hemp, and it's pretty durable. I love it.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, and so, yeah, there's the whole like, and I think within the industry, we kind of can we talk about that more on the natural we call it natural side of things so you know that's anything from you know cotton and patagonia only uses organic cotton or cotton and conversion which means we're working with farmers to to move towards organic and we we've also looked into trying to expand regenerative organic and regenerative farming which is super interesting and hemp is is also a fascinating fiber it's it's so durable it's it's very soft it it really has a lot of great benefits but you know like working with all these fibers too we've we've learned so much around like where the impacts are coming from and you know how can we make improvements and there's a lot of great things about using natural fibers as well because the you know the implications around them sticking around forever like plastics aren't you know it's it's not quite of a concern cellulose breaks down way more easily in the environment so there's a lot of advantages to that especially if we're talking about, you know, more uh, lifestyle, you know, everyday kind of clothing, which is what I'm wearing right now is <laughs> I'm wearing hemp and, and organic cotton head to toe. Right. So, you know, it's it's I think when it makes sense, we can use these natural materials. There's also a huge opportunity to use recycled naturals as well. Um, I think that, that that's the most impressive reduction of greenhouse gas emissions and energy and water that goes into producing clothing is, is recycled naturals is super impressive around that because we didn't have to grow all those plants we didn't have to use all the energy to process them all the water to feed the plants and to process the fiber so it, it really helps to save so much um, and recycled is, is super interesting and then Going back to the regenerative, you know, there's a lot of implications aside from just greenhouse gas emissions. It's around like soil health and biodiversity and, you know, working with local farmers and supporting the people as well. You know, and that's like a big deal. Um, and, you know, my colleague Allie has been doing a lot of amazing work of hemp in the U.S. and trying to build that infrastructure up. You know, we haven't really had hemp processing for I mean, in many, many years. And so trying to build that industry back up is, is a really big challenge where most of the expertise is really uh, elsewhere, whether it's in India or in China. So trying to bring that with, within the U.S., we can grow the hemp, but like, can we make the, the fiber is, a, is another question. So that's been a lot of work that Patagonia has been doing as well.
0: Yes, I In the recesses of my memory, uh, it seems like I came across a video where there was a flag made, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, Patagonia had a a hand in the making of this little mini documentary, um, The Hemp Grown in the United States, the textile created here, and then a flag was made, this very inspiring.
1: Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. <laughs> so we have about two minutes left, and the first thing I was hoping that we could kind of squeeze in here at the end is uh, a shout out to any partners that you're working with, any exciting projects that might be going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know Patagonia and, and I rely really heavily on our fabric mill partners. So a lot of the mills that I specifically work with are helping to bring on a lot of these new innovations and. You know, folks like Pertex or Toyota, Tajan and Torre, ASF, these are all mills that I work with really closely and have been doing a fantastic job of bringing on these uh, new material innovations. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't be getting anything done without them. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yes, I'm, I'm familiar with Torre in particular, and I know that they have a lot of recycled polyester type. Fabrics that are absolutely inspiring, and they're trying to go plant based. So, we'll be watching them and their (laughs) progress. That's uh, very exciting. And how might folks find you if they'd like to carry on the conversation?
1: Yeah, I think it's either um, you know, you can send me an email or uh, find me on LinkedIn. But my name is Pasha Whitmire, and my email is pasha.whitmire at patagonia.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, best way to get in touch, really.
0: Well, thank you so much for um, being our neighbor over there in, in Bozeman, first of all, yeah. and uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Coming, coming to Montana, secondly. And uh, yeah, thirdly, thanks for being on Heartstock, and we really appreciate you sharing your story.
1: Thanks for having me, Carol.
0: Indeedy. And as always, we will be back again next week with more exciting guests. Uh, you're going to be a hard act to follow, though, Pasha, I will have to say.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much.
0: This is Heartstock. We'll see you next week. Peace.
1: Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via livestream at
0: butteamericaradio.org. As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said, no trespassing, but on only